since this was the answer to prayer, I I made the telephone call, got got his answering service. You know, he's an MD. What would you expect? And I, I thought, well, that's the end of that. MD psychiatrist. I'll never hear from him. And so that's you know, I don't worry about that anymore. So about 45 minutes later, I got a call back, and he was not calling. Collect. <laughs> And he did not, uh, he didn't have my name quite right, so I knew it wasn't because he had read any of my books or anything. So we got to talking, and, uh, he's, and I told him I was a student of the course, and he became very interested in that. Asked me if I had read New Realities magazine. Well, I knew what he was talking about. New Realities used to be Psychic magazine. And they had approached uh, uh, Helen and Bill and Ken Wapnick and so forth up there in New York about writing an article on A Course in Miracles. This was just before it was formally published. There had been some Xerox copies distributed. And in praying, because they prayed about all decisions, the answer that they received was, because they were very enthusiastic about a national magazine launching this publication, the answer they received was that it would be Unnecessary, unnecessarily complicating to associate A Course in Miracles with psychic phenomena. So their solution, the editors of the magazine, their solution was to change the name of the magazine. <laughs> so they changed it to New Reality so they could publish that first article, which they did. Well, at that time, uh, Bill Thetford and Helen Shuckman were at Columbia University. They were both uh, tenured professors there. And they were remaining anonymous. Uh, you know, here they were teaching abnormal psychology and yet typing up this channeled material. And uh, So in the article, they were, refer they were referred to as Dr. H and Dr. B. <laughs> so when he said, well, do you know about New Realities magazine? I said, yes. He's, he said, well, Dr. B is living right next door to me, and we're going to have lunch Monday. Would you like to join us? Well, I was calling on a Friday, and I said, well, uh, in Santa Fe? I thought maybe they were coming through Santa Fe. <laughs> he said, no, in Tiburon. I said, you want me to have lunch in Tiburon? <laughs> now, those of you who have talked to Jerry on the phone know that he has a very abbreviated manner on the phone. And it becomes more abbreviated the longer the conversation lasts. So as I began to question him about this lunch thing, uh, his answers got shorter and shorter. And I finally said, well, uh, I'll have to ask about that. And uh, he said, okay, you do that. Bang. <laughs> So Gail and I got together. We, in those days, we sat in chairs and we opposite each other and we'd hold hands and ask together and get the answer together. That way we felt more comfortable about it because both of us would then be fools, you see. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer was, yes, indeed, we were to go to Tiburon to have lunch. So uh, we made the plane reservations and I called Jerry back and I said to Dr. Jampolsky, I'll be at the uh, the airport uh, at 10.15. Uh, Gail and I are coming in 10.15. <laughs> airport? What are you going to be doing at the airport? <laughs> I said, well, uh, you know, we're 
flying in from Santa Fe, and we're, we're going to drive from there to your office. We need to know where your office is. Santa Fe? I thought you were saying San Jose. <laughs> so Gail and I spent a wonderful day there. Yeah. <laughs> Gail, uh, as those of you who know her, has a steel trap mind. She never forgets any detail, and she, I always rely on her as to when planes are supposed to leave and all that kind of thing. Kept asking her that day what time the plane was supposed to leave, and she would somewhat irritatedly because we both knew that I did not know those things, and she did, and I should not be questioning her on this. She kept, she kept telling me what time it was. Finally, uh, I said, well, would you mind if we looked at the uh, airplane ticket? By this time, it was in the evening. We're now having dinner with Judy and Bill and Jerry and so forth. Looked at the ticket, and the plane had already left. Uh, and there were a number of things that happened the end of that day that we would not have participated in if, the, if we had taken the plane at the time it was scheduled to leave. So it was one of those mistakes that is clearly not a mistake. Well, the next morning, uh, we, we stayed at Jerry's house, slept at his house. And he said, the next morning, he said, we're going to have a, a meditation. Now, we'd already met with Helen and, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Judy and Bill and so forth in his office, done a number of things. But a meditation, they were going to have a meditation in the morning. At 10 o'clock and so I don't remember what Gail thought but I thought well this is just going to be the most holy experience I've ever had in my life <clears throat> you know here are all these people associated with a course in miracles so everybody arrived and Jerry passed around copies of the course and somebody did a reading I forget who it was and then Jerry asked Bill, uh, what were the circumstances under which that was received? And he said he couldn't remember. <laughs> and uh, then uh, Judy brought up a, a book that she was reading. Uh, said that she thought everybody ought to read this book because it was. Uh, she thought that it was very related to the course. And then she started saying what the course. Uh, started saying what the book meant and what it was. The ideas it was putting forth. And uh, Jerry said, well, I don't think that's in line with the course. Uh, what do you think, Bill? And and pretty soon, at about, you know, about two minutes, there was this cat and dog fight right there, you see, between all these people. So I tell you that to let you know that uh, even those who are supposed to be most knowledgeable about the course uh, do not agree on every detail as to how to interpret the course. And this also includes uh, Ken Wapnick. I've, I won't mention now the disagreements I've heard, but there are disagreements as to exactly what the course means about this and about that. And I've, I've seen these uh, among everyone. This is not a bad thing. I think this is actually a very good thing. It was a very good thing that Helen would have nothing to do with the course and call it total poppycock, you know. Because it does leave it completely up to you. It's just a tool that you can use. So when you read 
Ken's uh, statement here, or when you hear what I have to say, uh, just take what's useful, what helps you, and just throw the rest of it away. One thing that we all agree on, those of us who have been working with the Course, is that it is an absolute statement of truth. It's not the only one, obviously, but it is indeed a pure statement of truth, just as Tara Singh uh, saw. So if you want pure truth, you can read it there. But when you get into interpretation, now the ego is coming into play. You get, have to get some ego involvement, and you're going to get differences of opinion. There's also the phenomenon of study groups. And there are study groups all over the country. There is nothing in A Course in Miracles that implies the necessity of, of uh, study groups. But many people find them extremely helpful. One thing that you might uh, want to be aware of is that sometimes a consensus can form within a group as to what the Course is saying. If you find that you're not in agreement with that consensus, don't worry about it. That, that doesn't mean that these people are right. The Course is obviously written on a number of different levels. It can be read on various levels. So those of us who have gone through the Course many times, gone through the 365 lessons a number of times, find that it's like reading a whole new course each time, because you're now reading it on an entirely different level. I know that you're just burning with interest as to what the second step is. <laughs> Those of you who read in the paper, that was the topic this morning. Second step. And possibly you have wondered why I spent ten Sundays on the first step. Either I'm very slow or because uh, it was it seemed to be a very simple first step. Well, here's why I spent the last ten Sundays on a very simple concept. Our ego believes and sacrifice above all. It believes in hardship. It believes in difficulty. It believes that nothing comes easily. Uh, that we must sweat blood over any advancement. And A Course in Miracles states just the opposite. That you only enter the kingdom of heaven, you only enter the knowledge of God, you only enter that state of mind that we might call simple happiness by being happy. You only enter peace by being peaceful, you only enter gentleness by being gentle, and in no way can you enter the love of God painfully. Now, it may be that pain will be your original motivation for turning to God. And one mistake that people make is that they, they think that they must have a pure motive for asking for help. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wait for a pure motive <laughs> before you ask for help, you're never going to ask for help. Don't worry why you're turning for help. Don't worry that your ego tells you it's because you want more money or it's because you want an advancement or, uh, or it's because you want revenge. 
it doesn't matter that the motive is wrong. Because once you turn to the peace of God, then you will have the peace of God. And your motive will be as pure as gold. And it will not have mattered what turns you in that direction. But no matter what starts us out, we must enter gentleness gently. So the hardest thing for someone who is beginning a spiritual path to believe is that it could be this easy. If you want to know what the main stumbling block is, that's it. That you are asked to do nothing but relax, be happy, have not a care in the world, not to worry about a thing, just roll gently down the stream. This path is extremely broad. Let me read you uh, what is many people's favorite passage in the text. It's entitled, I Need Do Nothing. I won't read the whole thing, but let me just read you uh, something on this very point here. It is impossible to accept the holy instant without reservation unless just for an instant you are willing to see no past or future. That's what relaxing means. I simply am not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about what I said. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. When we worry about it, we see the past or the future. When we see the past or the future, we do not see the presence of God around us. You cannot prepare for it without placing it in the future. Now, this is a major departure from many popular systems that we've all gone through, which put great emphasis on preparation. We must first prepare. Of course, the miracle says, if you attempt to prepare, you've already put the peace of God in the future. You've got to do something first. Release has given you the instant you desire it. Many have spent a lifetime in preparation and have indeed achieved their instances of success. This course does not attempt to teach more than they learned in time, but it does aim at saving time. You may be attempting to follow a very long road to the goal you have accepted. It is extremely difficult to reach atonement by fighting against sin. Nor is a lifetime of contemplation and long periods of meditation aimed at detachment from the body necessary. All such attempts will ultimately succeed because of their purpose, yet the means are tedious and very time-consuming. For all of them look to the future for release from a state of present unworthiness and inadequacy. 
your way will be different, not in purpose, but in means. You are prepared. Now you need but to remember you need do nothing. It would be far more profitable now merely to concentrate on this than to consider what you should do. When peace comes at last to those who wrestle with temptation and fight against the giving into sin, when the light comes at last into the mind given to contemplation, or when the goal is finally achieved by anyone, it always comes with just one happy realization. I need do nothing. So for ten Sundays I have tried to approach that simple concept that this is a very broad path. This is a very easy path that A Course in Miracles sets, sets forth. That we need not be afraid to be happy and to relax. And now when I bring up the second step, hopefully, if you now know this to some degree, and of course many of you knew this long before I began talking about it, but if you know this now to some degree, then you will not take the second step as meaning that you are supposed to uh, put forth some effort that you're supposed to add some duty, uh, that there is, that there's now a departure, something now is being called upon, you're being called upon to do something that you, you don't want to do. The second step is simply to remember God. So the first step is, and we've, we've done this so brilliantly here at the Dispensable Church, uh, we have Wonderful maxims. Ernest Holmes, I'm sure, is from the fourth dimension, is looking down in, in a jealous rage at our at our beautiful maxims here, such as <laughs> "follow your PP." <laughs> They'll be writing about that one for centuries. <laughs> Follow your peaceful preference. You see, and uh, the other day, Gail was out uh, looking at a little flower garden. Uh, you all know David Poole as a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner. <laughs> but he's also a landscape uh, artist along with Carol Scullin. They have a landscape business. And so David was over and Gail was, they were talking about this flower garden. The question was, what, what should the borders be? And Gail was saying, gosh, I just don't know where we should put the borders. And David said, Pip-Awa. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, of course, we, we have another one. Be written in the annals. This will be carved on church doors and <laughs> as you enter. So, Pip-Awa. Pause in peace, then act with assurance. <laughs> P.I.P. Pause in peace, 
then act with assurance, A-W-A, Pip Awa. So maybe we could say that the last ten Sundays could be summarized with uh, three steps. The first one I would like to give to you in the form of a prayer, and I'd like to ask you to join with me in this prayer uh, with your eyes closed. Uh, here's how I'd like for us to do it. Let me say it once to you. Then we'll say it once together. And then we will say it once silently. And then I would like to ask you to think about each word in the prayer. The, the other thing that is so hard to believe is that we actually receive what we want. Now, this has been said over and over and over throughout the centuries, and nobody can really believe this. It isn't necessary, though, to believe it. If you just begin it, begin practicing from that standpoint. So you want to see if you can't mean every word of this prayer with all of your heart as best you can. So let me say it, then we'll repeat it out loud, and then we'll repeat it together silently. It has two lines. First one. I want the peace of God. The second one. The peace of God is my only function. Let's say that together. I want the peace of God. The peace of God is my only function. Now silently. Okay, so that's what we've been talking about, basically, is that the peace of God is our only function. We simply want that. That's the reason we choose the activities we choose, is because they will allow us to be peaceful. That's what we hope to derive from the activity. And that's our function while we're participating in the activity. So we follow our peaceful preference. And then if we get into trouble, pivawa. <laughs> if there's a hitch, then we simply pause in peace. Why? Because peace is the best guide back to peace. Pause in peace and act with assurance. Why do we act with assurance? Because we have been assured. If we pause in peace, we have turned to God. If we now doubt what we felt or what we heard within that peace, we're merely turning back to the voice for doubt, the ego. What is the point in doing that? So we act with assurance. Now, act with assurance doesn't mean that we take a position and maintain it come hell or high water. We act with assurance in the same way that a two or three or four-year-old child acts with assurance. You ask them what they want to do, and they're just absolutely sure they want to do this, and da-da-da, and they do it for two and a half minutes, and then they say, no, I want to do that, and they act with complete assurance, and they do that, you see. You see how that happens. So that, 
you, you notice that little children will change their mind just like that, but once they've changed it, and they change it very quickly, they act with complete assurance once again. So we act as if God actually held our hand. We act as if God is actually directing us. We act as if we're, our way is safe and that we are watched over and cared for and that we cannot make a mistake, we cannot hurt ourselves. And unless we act with assurance, we will never walk in the voice of God. We have to first act as if we are walking in the voice of God. Because the ego's delaying tactic is that it must see its way through before it begins. And that's why nothing is ever done. We've got to see our way through. It's all got to be perfect. We've got to know the results. Of course, we never do anything because we can't do that. There's no way to do that. So hopefully, those of you who have been coming here, this uh, little insane asylum on the hill every <laughs> Sunday, now realize to some degree that it can be so simple, it can be so easy. And so now I'm going to talk about remembering God. And this should be done only in accordance with your sense of enjoyment. That's a wonderful phrase. Sense of enjoyment. Learn to listen to your sense of enjoyment rather than to what the world tells you to do, rather than what the clock tells you to do. What does your sense of enjoyment say? Has your sense of enjoyment just ended? Is it all right for you to leave the activity? Or must you fear the world? Must you fear the blustering of certain egos? Why can't you follow your sense of enjoyment instead of propriety and reciprocity? For one day, try following your sense of enjoyment like a little child. A little child doesn't care whether the task is finished. It does it for as long as it enjoys doing it. It doesn't ask how long the task will take before it enters the task. Because it's only going to do it for as long as it wants to. A two or three or four year old child. <coughs> and that's the same thing about remembering God. Only remember God if you see that it's a pleasure to do so. Never do it out of a sense of duty. There's no God in, a, in that kind of internal war. How many people here have watched Sesame Street along with their children? Okay. I figured it was this kind of crowd, you know. <laughs> Y'all probably know about Forgetful Jones on Sesame Street. It's one of my favorite characters. Forgetful Jones sometimes wears a sign around him that says, Me. <laughs> That's all we do when we remember God. We just remember where we are. We remember our, ho our home, our self, our surroundings, our source, our strength. We are 
like a beautiful vine that circles around a huge tree. Beautiful vine that circles around and around a huge tree. God is the very core of our being. Close your eyes with me and let's see if we can sense that just for a minute. Now, you probably know that God is closer than your squash blossom or your ankh or your whatever else, your clothes. But just sense for a minute your clothes and how close your clothes are. Feel your clothes on you. And say gently to yourself, God, my father and mother is closer to me than my clothes. And now for a moment, just sense your breathing. Feel your lungs gently expand and contract. Feel the air come in. We, we drown ourselves in God and breathe in peace. That's all we do. So as you breathe, say to yourself, My father, mother, God is closer to me than my breath. And see that that is so. And now very quietly listen to your heart, the beat of your heart. God is closer to me than the beating of my heart. Okay. You see, we worry about whether or not we're praying enough, whether or not we're meditating enough. But... But to remember God takes just an instant because he's so close. That was what the passage that I read from A Course in Miracles said. There's nothing to prepare. There's no search. But do not forget that the ego thinks there's a search. That there is that there's a quest. That there's something that must be done first. That there's an effort to be expended. Before you will know God. And so one of the almost perverse things that happens to people on the spiritual path is they will decide that they're going to spend a lot of time trying to reach God. And the more time they spend, the further he seems. Probably most of us have gone through that. That's because God isn't out there. He is closer than the very beat of our heart, than our breath. He is the magnificent trunk of the tree around which we whine. Every thought that God thinks, we think at the same instant. That's how close God is. 
our being and our self and our identity. So how long does it take to remember God? It doesn't take as long as it does to worry about whether or not you're praying enough. It doesn't take that long. So it takes a certain length of time to worry about whether or not you're meditating enough or praying enough. If you will spend half that time remembering God, you've already done it. Such a simple solution. The ego doesn't understand that simplicity. How can I spend more time meditating? By spending more time meditating. That's the answer. Right now. Just do it right then. And when you meditate, when you pray, remember what has been said and that no one has believed that we receive exactly what we want. Now what can be confusing about this, of course, is the is that words represent things. And things represent experiences. And experiences represent the truth within our heart. So uh, the other day, Gail and John and I were driving to Albuquerque and ambulance came by. Lights were going around and all, you know, the siren and everything. And John said, what's that? I said, that's an ambulance. He said, uh, Daddy, buy me a ride on ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> of course I could see immediately that probably looked like that would be great fun <laughs> but we know that it was, wouldn't be great fun to be inside an ambulance you see there with the little tubes in you and it's all dark and the shades are pulled and so forth so the ambulance is a word it represents a thing the thing represents an experience what was it that John wanted? He wanted the experience that he assumed the word ambulance would eventually bring. He was mistaken. That's what we do. And what, why do we want such an experience? We want, he wanted enjoyment and joy and excitement and so forth. Where does that come from? Well, that's a very normal, natural yearning of our heart for the joy of God which is infinite. And then we think, well, maybe there's an experience in the world that will give me that. And what's the thing that represents it? And what's what? So we have to cut through all these levels and we go straight to the heart. So we receive from God what is of God, whatever we ask, with sincerity. So when you pray, simply pray as honestly and sincerely as you can. Join with me, would you, just for a second, and let's just try that. There's no perfect amount of sincerity. So what you're going to do for just a few seconds is you're going to pray as sincerely as you can from as deep within your heart as you can. This simple prayer. I want the peace of God. Let's pray that together with all the sincerity that we're capable of this Sunday morning at this particular moment.
in your eyes. The other day we were in, uh, John and I went into a uh, drugstore, used to be Skillons, Ronco or something now, I forget what it is called. Redco, it's called Redco now. And he was in there a very long time. He's very good. He's very patient. And I took him over to the toy section. I said, you can pick, pick out one toy. You have one toy. So he, of course, picked out the chrome-plated automatic. <laughs> We'd made a deal, so he got that. Coming home, he asked me why it was so hard to pull the trigger. And uh, I said, well, it's a cap gun. He said, a cap gun? I said, what are caps, Daddy? I said, well... Try to try to explain to him. Oh, I want cats. <clears throat> oh, I want a Mercedes. Oh, I want a, a spouse that looks like that. <clears throat> um, okay, so gotten cats. Put the cats in the thing. This was yesterday. We did this and uh, shot the cats. He was horrified. Absolutely horrified. So he got under the table and he put his hands over his ears like that and he closed his eyes and he squunched all down under the table and then he would take his hands off and he said, point the gun up the ceiling and shoot. <laughs> so I would shoot and then he would Look at him. He said, is it over? He said, yeah. And he said, point the gun at the bed and shoot. <laughs> he said, look up and ask me if it was over. We did this for five minutes. <laughs> a Course in Miracles indicates a phenomenon that we should be aware of when you pray like you just prayed. Which you will do, hopefully, only because you see you would like to. Only because you see it would make you happy. And how often should you do that? As much as you want to. If you see it makes you happy, you do it not for results. Don't do it to reach God. You are reaching God when you do it. So you don't look for the results. You're, the results are the happiness you feel while you're doing it. Don't expect one thing more than that than the happiness you feel in turning to God. But you should be aware of this, that it is quite likely that your ego will react if you pray with that kind of sincerity. And it is not uncommon that you will find yourself, after experiencing whatever degree of peace, or whatever else you experience during that moment, that you will find yourself possibly sick after that. Or you'll find yourself uh, very confused. You're, you're suddenly your life situation might be quite chaotic for a period of time. Now, of course, the peace of God doesn't cause that. Of course, in the miracles, says this is the reaction of the ego. So the ego we have set up to defend itself, just as we've said here before, like an imaginary playmate defends itself to the child that, that manufactures it, acts like a real playmate, and so it defends itself. Well, our imaginary identity defends itself. So having been set up that way, it will react, because that's the way we've asked it to, to operate. 
Nothing threatens the ego more than simple happiness and peace. It cannot stand simple happiness. Notice that if you allow yourself to relax just for a moment and say, I'm just going to enjoy myself. Notice that there's just this screaming from this little teeny part of your mind. And so all the reasons you can't do that, you see. Now, if you have a really deep meditation, which only takes a second or two, there's no time involved. In it. It's just, it has to do with sincerity, not time. With how deeply you're asking for the peace of God right now. There can be a reaction. Those of you who have read uh, Jung's autobiography know the story he tells about uh, how he would start vomiting every time he did his homework. And so eventually he decided that he would do his homework anyway, even though he, it made him vomit. And as I recall, it's been several years since I've read Memoirs, Dreams, and Reflections. He, his body vomited three times, and then it stopped. It never did it again. And the ego operates in much the same way. I've told you about the time that John was just learning to walk, and I had a manuscript on the back of the couch, and he could pull himself up, and he would reach over and touch the manuscript. And the first time he did that, I said, no. And uh, he'd never heard no since when he was very young. So he took one finger and he reached over and <coughs> looked up at me. I said, no. And he reached over again, no. Went off and played. The next morning, same thing. That went on for three or four days and then he didn't touch the manuscript anymore. The ego is exactly like that. If it sees that you want the peace of God, it will adopt your purpose, which is to be happy. Because the ego can understand that purpose, even though it doesn't understand it in the same terms that you do, it understands the purpose of being happy. And if it sees that it makes you happy to turn to God, it will stop making you sick or your life chaotic as a consequence. So don't worry about that. It will pass if you'll persist. Notice, however, your involvement in the ego's reaction because there is an involvement. And that is that we very much like to be martyrs. And so we intentionally make this quite difficult and suffer and let other people know that we are suffering. And we even have wonderful terms for this like the dark night of the soul and all kinds of forms of spiritual things we are doing giving up for God so that's our involvement notice it doesn't make you happy to be a martyr it doesn't make you happy to to witness to other people that uh, that illness and chaotic relationships are eating you up when you could be witnessing to the peace of God don't try to change it just notice that it doesn't make you happy and it will fall away in time I'd like for us to say another phrase together. I'll say it and then you repeat it with me. The present is important. The present is important. 
if we could learn that one thing, we would allow ourselves to be happy. It's because we think the future is more important than the present that we will not allow ourselves to be happy now. Because of some ramification, something that might happen, the legal profession, as you know, is based on this. If you go in to write out a simple contract, have you ever gone in just to write out a simple will or simple anything? Yes, but what if? And of course, it's a valid question. It's the attorney's job to point out the what ifs. Oh, okay, we've got a provision for that. Ah, yes, but what if so-and-so? And, you know, there's no end to it. And, but there is an end to it with that attorney. Now, if you go to a second opinion, then you can add a whole number, number of pages because he'll think of things that other attorney didn't think of. And you can spend the rest of your life simply writing out uh, an access to your property or something, some legal kind of thing. Now, the ego does that. Be happy now? What if? <laughs> what if you don't do this? What if this goes undone and so forth? So, for example, let's say we have a car that's uh, under warranty. We've all been in that situation. Car's under warranty. Something goes wrong with it. A number of things go wrong with it. We take it in. They don't fix it. This, is, of course, is all part of the package when you buy the car. You get one car. You get 23 things that will go wrong within six months. 22 of them will not be fixed. It's all written out. There's a, I'm sure there's a document someplace. This is the way life works, you see. <laughs> now, you have a very simple choice. For, for example, maybe you, you run across a very good mechanic who could fix it. And the question is, should you take it to the mechanic and have it fixed and pay for it, or should you take it in and try to keep getting it? Well, no, what we will do, of course, is keep taking it in because it's under warranty, and these people ought to do this, and we will spend weeks and weeks and weeks hassling with this instead of going ahead and paying the money and having it done. In other words, we do not allow ourselves any option. So, along with the idea that the present is important, which is the same thing as remembering God, those two statements are the same, is the recognition that how important is it? Is it important enough that I will not fear this world in any way? Is it important enough that I will look over all the options that this world offers me and I will choose the ones I wish? I will not limit myself to any of them. How important is the present? How important is my present enjoyment? Is it so important that I will pick this option that I have never picked before, that other people may think is silly or unspiritual? How important is it? Let me give, I'll give an illustration of two things, finances and illnesses. Now, let's say that you're having some sort of financial difficulty. What would you be willing to do? Now, I've made a list here of things that, Everyone does. But just see if you would be willing to do any of these things if, you, if you're in financial difficulty. That doesn't mean you would do them, but it means that when you pip awa, that if it comes to you to do one of these things, you'll do it because the present is important. Your present peace is important. More important than the ramification. Here are some things that you could do. You could declare bankruptcy. Nothing's unusual here. These are just things that anybody could do. Just ask yourself as I read these, would I be willing to do that? 
I'm not a person who would declare bankruptcy. Does that go off in you? Call my creditors and try to work out something. Write my creditors. Go visit my creditors. Would you visit your creditors? Actually look a creditor in the face? <laughs> well, you would if the present is important and this has come to you in your pipawa. When you pause in peace, if it came to you that this might be a very simple thing to do, you could borrow the money from your parents. <laughs> you resolve never to borrow money from your parents again. Because remember what happened the last time? But this isn't the last time. This is this time. The present is important. You can get a second job. Uh, the guy that took me to the airport in Atlanta, I was in Atlanta uh, a couple of days ago, uh, was telling me about uh, he needed some extra money to uh, buy something for his kids. And he said, uh, I took a job out here shuttling people around this airport. Um, one of these courtesy vans. He said it was the most delightful job I've ever had in my life. He said it only lasted three months. He said I was really reluctant to take it because the summers when I like to do all these things, I like to play and you know have all these sports, and I knew I wouldn't be able to do that. Such a simple solution. You need the extra money, you got a second job, you see. You could barter. People do that. You don't. Hippies do that. <laughs> you could trade work. You can move. <laughs> Fritz Perls, I think I've mentioned this to you before, Fritz Perls talks about being in Nazi Germany and how he and his friends talked, talked about what was happening there in Nazi Germany as Hitler came into power and so forth. And they all agreed as to what was going to happen. It's among his friends. He decided to leave. And in leaving, he left everything he owned. Because that's the only way you could get out at that time. Most of his friends chose not to, and every single one of them died. They didn't allow themselves that option. The option of leaving it all behind. That's an option. Forgetting it. That's another option. Just go on about your life and creditors call and the phone rings and the nasty little letters come. And... <laughs> okay, I'm running down a few things with illness. Before you get sick. Well, are you willing to allow yourself any option? Is the present that important? Is it important to you to be able to remember God? Can you remember God if this problem is preoccupying your mind? If it's not, you can forget it. If it's a mild illness, health need not concern you unless it has become a distraction. Your health need not concern you unless it has become a present distraction. It's a very fearful statement to the ego, especially at this particular time. It's a fact, though. It need not concern you. Why? Because the present is important. Because you want the peace of God. So you do what you need to do to have the peace of God now. You can't have the peace of God five minutes from now. You can only have it now. What are you willing to do to put aside your physical problem so that you can turn to God? 
I'll just read things. These are nothing's unusual. I'm just this is what everyone somebody does all these things. Natural medicine, you know, herbs and homeopathy, physical therapy, rolfing, patterning, acupuncture. We've got German acupuncture. We've got Chinese acupuncture just here in Santa Fe. Different schools, surgery. Now, most people on a spiritual path will not consider surgery. Most people on a spiritual path won't even consider cosmetic surgery. Somehow it's spiritual to have the wart on the nose. You see. I've mentioned NLP. That's the only thing that's uncommon on this list, neuro-linguistic programming. I'm trying to talk uh, David into uh, giving a sermon on that when I'm when Gail and I are going to be gone here. Uh, I don't, but we're working on that. Just so he can give you some of these tools to use. This is just a particular set of tools. Faith healers. I bet you there are very few people in this audience who would go to a faith healer. And yet I met a little boy at the Center for Attitudinal Healing who with Jerry's blessing went to Catherine Kuhlman and he thinks that's who killed, uh, cured, her of, of his, uh, cured him of his leukemia. He didn't stop the boy from going to the... He and his mother went. Went up there. They were slain in the spirit. And the whole thing, you know, knocked over and everything. <laughs> but no more leukemia. He didn't rule out that option. Hypnosis. I was playing a tennis with a guy the other day. Hypnotherapist. Logan Roots. He's a good one, incidentally, here in town. MD. He runs the... Uh, uh, St. Vincent's uh, emergency ward over there. Playing tennis with him, and uh, a, a, a ball hit him in the air very, very hard. And as we were changing uh, the court, changing sides, he asked me to look at his ear. And uh, he said, I have ice on it. He said he had mentally put ice on it the minute it happened. And he mentally kept the ice on it during the whole thing. There was no swelling. Chiropractic. Remember those awful, dirty people? Those chiropractors? <laughs> Diet and exercise. Biofeedback. Psychics. Seances and instructions from fourth dimensional people and all that. TM. People get healed through TM. A lot of, a lot of research has been done that way. Uh, and then there's forgetting it. <laughs> forgetting it means, you know, uh, if you can put it aside, just go ahead and seek the peace of God because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you're sick. The peace of God is what matters. But if it matters so much that you can't turn to God, then do something simple. But allow yourself any option before you turn to the peace of God or else the present is not important. You've made the future more important than the present. And how can that which is the present, God himself, speak to you if you've already made, made something else, the voice of something else more important?